This week on the show. I, I don't think we're horny for Hitler, baby. No. I just think we're trying to get back at him for what he did to us. You know, procreate the shit out of our community. You can't get rid of us, Hitler. How's that for a slow burn? Maxine Grossman. I was like, why am I not getting auditions? I would get like two or three. Um, a year and it just like what well, I just didn't understand why and I finally talked to my acting coach my agent and she spoke to a casting director I just done a workshop with and I was like please ask them is it the bags under my eyes and all three of them were like yeah I think that might like I don't think that's the only reason but I think that that's probably it comedian actor writer future showrunner to an extent every character that I write has an aspect of myself in it, has an aspect of my friends, my life, the people I'm surrounded with. I, yeah. I typically don't stray too far away from the, my own personal lived experience because yeah. I think of that authenticity. I know that. Yeah. yeah. By the time I get on a stage in front of an audience of people, I've tested out my joke on at least six different people in my own life before right. I get on a stage in front of an audience. So I wouldn't say I've ever bombed. I've definitely gotten silence. I've definitely gotten, <laughs> I once did a joke and there was silence and someone in the audience just yelled, boo. Let's talk to Maxine Grossman on the Very Creative Podcast. Maxine Grossman, how are you? Hello, I'm great. How are you? So nice to meet you. Uh, I'm really good. Uh, you're actually the first guest ever that I've not met in person. I've never talked to. So there you go. <laughs> Yay for COVID. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, just to tell the people, our mutual friend, Josette Alpert, uh, made us meet each other. And uh, I, I told Josette, oh, do you have an interesting guest for the podcast? And uh, she was like, yeah, this girl, this c comedian. So yeah, introduce <laughs> yourself to everyone. Thanks, Josette. She's the best. Um, yeah, so my name is Maxine Grossman. I'm a writer, actor, producer, comedian. I've been doing stand-up comedy for, I guess it's been a year and a half, but because of COVID, I'm cutting out that half. We're just going to call it a year. I still want to be a, a comedy baby. Um, right. So I've been doing stand-up comedy for about a year now, but I've been writing for five to six years. I've been acting for over 10. And uh, just, you know, trying to make content in Canada. It's a journey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, no, I've read your, the article that you put on your Instagram and you said, uh, it's so different in LA and here. Oh like, yeah. How your career talk about that a little bit. Uh, uh, so I went to LA twice, once in 2015 for two months. Right. And this was in between programs. I was originally at Ryerson in their theater acting program. And I did that for a year. Ultimately, right. I got kicked out of the program because I'm a rebel, but also because I have feelings. Uh, no, <laughs> I, I was kicked out of the program because they thought I wasn't dedicated enough. And unfortunately, it wasn't due to me like not showing up to class or anything. I was always on time, always ready. Um, at the end of the day, what I think happened, and this is just my story, but um, I asked for two Jewish holidays off and got lectured about it. So that's where I'm placing it. I talked to the Dean of Communication and Design about it. It's all been you know, resolved, but it definitely, you know, 
theater school. For anyone who's been through theater school, y'all know the toll it yeah. takes on you. So I left. That really sucks. <laughs> yeah, but it was good because I wasn't happy and I wouldn't have left on my own. So I'm really grateful that it happened. Yeah. Um, left, did a semester um, in psychology and then was like, what am I doing? I don't like this. I don't like what right. I'm doing and decided, fuck it, I'm going to go. Oh, I didn't ask if I could swear on your podcast. Is that okay? Yeah, you can do okay, anything. Cool. <laughs> so then I was like, fuck it. I'm going to go to Los Angeles for two months and see what the industry is like out there, how I feel about it. Right. Because as much as I loved theater, I was leaning more towards film and TV and LA is the hub for that. So I went out there with a friend of mine for two months and just, I got so much farther in my career yeah. in LA in that time without a visa, like just in terms of people being open to meeting you and talking to you, taking classes, like casting director workshops, right. casting directors wanted to bring me in for things that unfortunately I couldn't go in for because I didn't have a visa. Um, meanwhile, when I was in Canada, I like maybe yeah. got two auditions a year and here there were these casting directors who were like, yeah, we want to bring you in. Let's have you read for this. And then I know about like, oh. the two auditions a year. I know. Right? Oh man. Yeah. So it sucks. it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And I was writing a lot too, by the time I was there and I just finished writing my first pilot for a dramatic, uh, hour long show. And so I was kind of trying to network around and meet people there. And I got to meet with people at NBC universal. I got to meet with people, um, at like different, like talent agencies and like, the world opened up out there in a way yeah. that like there were so many gatekeepers in Toronto that I never got past. So that was fantastic. Came back, decided to go to Ryerson for their radio and television arts program. And through that, I also got to do another, um, I also got to do an internship, which I decided to go do in LA. So the second time I went for an extended period of time, I obviously visited for like a week, two weeks, three weeks. I did one of my Ryerson programs was a three week program in LA. Um, but I did another two month internship. And that time I was there on a visa, you know, I got to work for um, a production company that was making really cool stuff on Amazon um, and be a part of the development process there. I got to pitch ideas to the CEO and the VPs and they loved my idea and were like, okay, who do you see writing this? And I was like, me, can it be me, please? Yeah. Um, and so they were like, yeah, definitely go ahead and like write a spec pilot for it. Let's see how it goes. Ultimately, it, it's like based on history. And so there's just like a lot of yeah. legal stuff that has to go into it. And so it hasn't gotten anywhere, but it was just really cool that like all these people were so interested in seeing what I was able to do and, and, tr and trusting me. And I had never really experienced that in Canada. Um, yeah. So that was super cool. Once I finished my internship there, obviously I couldn't um, turn it into a sponsored job um, for a sponsored visa. And also I was missing my family and, there were some illnesses yeah. happening back home. So I came back um, and my goal ever since has been to kind of work my way back. And uh, yeah, LA is, is just, it's so different. And I would go and I'd see the comedy scene out there and yeah. there's just, uh, I guess it's, it's also numbers too, right? Like it's like doing the lottery in Canada versus doing the lottery in the U S the numbers are just so different. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Uh, I've been <laughs> trying to <laughs> go to LA for years. Uh, like I, I've been there, but for, for the business and uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it's just, uh, I, I'm sure like I, I would like, I don't know, I would, I, I think it's a real boost to your career and it's, uh, I think it's the place to be. There's a lot of people there, but like if you're talented and you work hard, it's uh you 
have a fair shot, you know? Yeah. They definitely appreciate the hustle more. Like I'm such a hustler. I'm such like I network, I'm networking all the time, building relationships, like getting connected to all these different people. One of the people I met with when I was there for my internship, I met with some people at Disney, um, got to pitch them a show. So it's, it's just way more open and in like a very capitalist way, it's like, we want to find the next big thing that's going to make us, you know, a crazy amount of money, but they also have the money to back it up. Creating content in Canada is just so much harder because instead of using the funds you receive from successful shows, because the profit margins are different, you're now going to government funds to get that money. So it's just, it's such a different structure. It's hard to compare, but I'm hoping that because of the incredible, beauty of LA and the amount of content that exists and the incredible tax credits and other sorts of talent that we have in Canada. I'm hoping over time, everything will just become more and more co-ventures and less like US coming to Canada to film or, you know, vice versa. Have you ever thought about going to Vancouver? I've thought about it. I think that if I wanted to just act, I think Vancouver would be a great option. But because I also want to write and produce um it's right. just okay. all the networks are here and all the production companies are here so it just yeah. makes more sense to either be here or be in la i've also been looking at master's programs uh in the u.s as just to make like it clear way. to the people you're in toronto right oh yes yeah, sorry yeah yeah, yeah. i'm in toronto <laughs> yeah. uh, yes that would be a helpful a helpful fact yeah i'm in toronto um <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i've been looking at master's programs in the u.s as like a way to get in there and to get experience with people right. outside of of the incredible bubble of people that I've met in Canada. Don't get me wrong. I, there's like incredible amounts of talent. Everyone's working so hard. I currently work at a production company um, slash studio yeah. that's making some incredible and cool content. And so it's really awesome to be a part of that in Canada and to see what they're trying to do. Um, and we have an LA arm. So it's awesome that I get to sometimes sit in on meetings and things like yeah. that and hear what they're trying to do across the border. It's it's cool. We're definitely headed in a very interesting direction, yeah. especially with COVID and technology. Like I'm looking forward to seeing what evolves out of that. Believe me, I, I know what you're talking about, about Toronto, because I, I lived there for four years and mm-hmm. I went to York and everything. Mm-hmm. And then I moved <laughs> back to Montreal and the opportunity are very slim here. And the like, especially in acting, there's, there's still yeah. some, it's more like the French market that's going very like, like it's big here, the, the mm-hmm. French market, but it's also like the French market is a small, like it's a small circle. Like if you, mm-hmm. if you're not in it, like it's hard to get in and yeah. So yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a weird, uh, so I don't know. I don't know what's the place to be. LA seems like I, I don't like LA personally as a city. Yeah, yeah, I not just a man. don't like it. Uh, <laughs> but it's the place to be. So yeah, um, yeah. so someday. Yeah, I Hopefully also like remote, New York. Remote yeah. work will make a difference. Yeah, because I think like a lot of a lot of American shows love shooting in Montreal. Yeah. That was I was actually considering Montreal over Vancouver when I was trying oh, really? to. Yeah. Because, I mean, I don't speak French, so I can't really fit into the French market there, which kind of sucks. But, like, a show like The Bold Type, for example. I love The Bold Type. Such a fan. Um, I auditioned for it. Never got it. (laughs) Okay, well, at least you've auditioned for it. Well, actually, I think I've auditioned, like, once or twice. But that was because, like, my friend had an audition, and I emailed my agents, and we're like, okay, I want to do this audition, too. Could you send me the sides? And then I did the audition. Um, but yeah, I think like for tax credit reasons, like just base, basic production reasons, like they would sooner pick people out of Montreal than out of Toronto for that kind of a show. Um, 
I auditioned for, um, oh, what was the name of the show? It was the one about Ruth Bader Ginsburg with, um, I'm slipping on the name. Um, anyway, they did like a fictional show about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Mimi Leader was the director. They did it through Steven Spielberg's production company. Like it was big. And I got to audition for like a semi-large part, which was incredible and like so cool. Um, but then the person they hired was out of Montreal. Now, I don't know if it was like for those reasons. Also, she and I look incredibly different. Um, also, I think I look more Jewish than um, than the person who played Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but that's secondary. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think like- You actually like do look like her. <laughs> Thanks, I'll take it. She's no, but now that you're saying it, I'm like, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so if I was like the character I auditioned for was to be like Ruth Bader Ginsburg's best friend in Harvard Law. And so as soon as I was like, as soon as I, I think it was Felicity Jones. Yes. Who like played Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I was like, that could be so cool. I could act across her and like, what a role that would be. And then I was like, ah, oh, wait, I look more, more like a yid than she does more. Yeah. More Jewish. So, um, I don't know if that played a part in it. I like to think it does. I like to pretend it does because yeah. I'm really proud of being Jewish and I think it's a fun joke and I like the comedy of it. Um, but right. the person they ended up casting looked a lot more waspy, blonde hair, small nose, round face, like just very different. So I knew at that point, thankfully, that yeah. it had nothing to do with talent, which is always nice, but like kind of shitty as an actor. I'm sure you know where you're like, your talent is there and you're capable and you're you do a really good job with the role, but you just don't look necessarily exactly like what they're looking for or putting you side by side with the actor you'd act across and, you know, they want a different look. So it's really, really annoying to be honest. (laughs) Oh my God. So annoying. I completely agree. I, that's why I wanted to like go into voice work at one point. And then I sent out my demos and I was talking to Josette about it, of course. And um, I sent out my demos to a bunch of agents and they were all like, yeah, you have a great voice. You have a great range of voices, but I have so many women who do the same thing you do. <laughs> uh, even uh, my amazing. voice can't make me stand out. So then yeah. I started writing. That, that's why I figured. like, yeah, that's why I like writing so much. Cause yeah. there's no face to it unless there's they, no they face look you to up. It. But. Exactly. Well, I mean, so I, for the longest time was like, why am I not getting auditions? I was like, like 17 through or maybe even like 16, like 16 through like 20. I was like, why am I not getting auditions? I would get like two or three um, a year. And it just like, what well, I just didn't understand why. And I finally talked to my acting coach, my agent, and she spoke to a casting director I just done a workshop with. And I was like, please ask them, is it the bags under my eyes? And all three of them were like, yeah, I think that might, like, I don't think that's the only reason, but I think that that's probably it. Like, when I signed with that, the agent that I was with at the time, she was like, yeah, unfortunately because of the bags under your eyes, you're only going to go up for like drug addicts and homeless people. And I was like, fine, I don't care. I'll take anything. Like I just want to act. Um, so yeah. So then I, uh, that was part of my like journey to LA the first time was like, do I want to be in this industry? It's like so fucked. And then I kind of got to a point where, I realized like on a personal level, I didn't want them anymore. I, I wanted to get rid of the bags under my eyes and I didn't want to do it for acting. I didn't want it to be like, Oh, if I get rid of them, all of a sudden I'm going to have more auditions. I didn't yeah. want it to be that way, but through my journey in LA and just like wanting to be there and wanting to be more confident in myself, I'd always had this mantra of like, love yourself for who you are, which I still mm-hmm. think is so true. But I realized too, it's like, if you don't like something that you can change it. 
Yeah. Because loving yourself for who you are, as empowering as that is, it can also put us in this kind of like passive aggressive victim stance exactly. of like, woe is me. I guess I just have to deal with it versus like, if you don't like something, you can change it. I had this option in front of me. I thankfully had the funds because I'm still living at home with my parents and working Starbucks and saving all my money. And because I was terrified that as an actor, I would never have enough money to live. <laughs> so I was right. always like hoarding my cash. Um and I was like, okay, I, I, I have this opportunity in front of me. It's safe. I found like the perfect surgeon. What's the worst that can happen? Um, and the worst that can happen is you die or go blind. So then I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay, do I really want to do this? And ultimately yeah. for my mental health, for my confidence and set, et cetera, um, I was like every other Jewish girl and got plastic surgery, but it wasn't for my nose. Um, I got it, (laughs) I got it under my eyes and honestly, it was like one of the best decisions I ever made. Obviously didn't really change the auditions I got. Um, but it definitely, the auditions I started getting were in a different category than what they had been before, which was nice. Um, and I don't remember how we got onto this topic, but (laughs) no, that's, that's so interesting. Writing. It was because of writing. Yeah. Yeah. So then I realized like not having a face writing, it's like so nice. You don't have to worry about how you look or if you fit the part of how you look, it's like all of the experience and the, the thoughts that you have, your vision, your perspective, your voice gets to come through in the same way you get to do it with acting. You're just emoting via words instead of like via your eyes. I liked that a lot. And then comedy just took it to the next level where I got to take my cynicism and make it entertaining. (laughs) Nothing stays buried forever. Especially not the past. Yesterday is Not Yet Gone, a mystery novel by Gabriel Vega, host of the Very Creative Podcast. Available now, paperback and digital. GabrielVega.com. Buy it now. Speaking of comedy, uh, so <laughs> great transition. Thank you. No um, yeah, uh, I read something in your article that you said that your family didn't like approve of you being funny or something. They approved. They just didn't think I was funny. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. They approved of me trying. Uh, they were definitely like, thumbs up, Maxine. Good job. But no, as a kid growing up, I had I would have a weekly dinner with um, me and my cousins and my aunts and uncles, and we would always get together for that weekly dinner. And um, every single time, I would try to crack jokes or say funny things, and no one would laugh and my cousins would just look at me like Maxine you're not funny why are you trying so hard you're really not funny and I was like oh okay and then everyone would laugh at my brother because he's hilarious and I love him but he's so much more like he's he's very like derpy humor and just like very he likes making lots of noises half the time he's just making random noises um but everyone thought he was so funny and when I was trying to be funny no one laughed and no one cared so I kind of grew up being like okay I guess I'm not that funny, but I loved being the class clown. Like I'd get up in the middle of class and start doing cartwheels at the back of the room because it made everyone laugh. Or I had a teacher who would like wheel in on a trolley because like we'd stay in the class and the teachers would come to us and she'd wheel in with her little trolley of books and items and things. And on it, she'd always have um, a little bell that she would ring to get our attention at the beginning of class. And I would always like run up in the middle of class and just start ringing the bell and then run away and everyone would laugh. It was like a high. I'm sure all the, your teachers must think you're great. <laughs> oh my God, they hated me. I went to a Jewish school where we learned like half day Hebrew and half day English and I have okay. a separate Hebrew name. So my Hebrew name is Yehudit, English name is Maxine. I knew that I was creating enough of a disturbance that 
So when we would get in trouble, the teachers would write our name on the blackboard being like, I don't know, I guess like shaming us, isolating us. I don't know. And I knew that the teachers had started talking to each other once the Hebrew teachers were just writing my English name in Hebrew letters <laughs> instead of my Hebrew name up on the board. Because right. they were like chatting with English teachers being like, oh, Maxine, she's the worst. Instead of like, oh, Yehudi, she's the worst. Like only the Hebrew teachers called us that. Yeah. So I found that funny. But um, yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't think that I was that funny growing up, but I loved making people laugh. I loved being the center of attention. Um, I loved having all eyes on me and being able to make a difference, like making someone smile is my favorite thing. So I'm totally fine. If I don't get a laugh, I, um, I'm really just happy to make people smile. Yeah. Craving the audience. And, uh, it's a, it's a great feeling when, when people are, when, like, I remember that feeling of being on stage the first few times and I'm like, and I still feel that way every time I go on stage, but it's like, people are just they're looking at you and they're you, they have smiles on their faces because of the words you say or the moves you do you know it's uh it's a, an amazing feeling and uh yeah and before in rehearsal you don't have that everybody hates you and uh, they all <laughs> want to say their lines and, and then you get on stage and everybody sees it for the first time and you're like oh and it gives you energy to to just oh, go yeah. on and uh oh uh, yeah Amazing. Yeah, and having like holding their attention, the energy, like you can the, the whole energy of the space is different. Like you can feel it. Yeah. When I do stand up, my main intention or my main goal is to hold everyone's attention. Right. I don't care if I get a laugh, I don't care if I get a smile. I mean, obviously I want to and I work for that and I work hard for that, but I at least want to hold people's attention. The worst thing for me is when people check their phones, when people start talking to their friends, when people turn away, like that I want to be at least able to hold their attention. Do you call them out? Sometimes, but you also never know what's going on in someone's life. And as much as other comedians right. like okay. to do it, yeah. I'm more the kind of person who, like, unless someone tries to um, yell stuff at me, and I forget what it's called, heckle. There we go. Oh, my God. Is that ever happened? 23 a.m. on a Sunday. Um, yeah, so I've been heckled. They're dumb. I mean, sometimes I engage, <laughs> sometimes I just ignore them. One time I made a comment about how, like, I'm a very, like, I, I'm very brash in my comedy and I'm not afraid to, like, talk about buttholes and penises. And, like, at one point I would just, like, made a comment about how um, I'm, like, intimidated by men. But I, I don't even remember the joke. It was so long ago. But I'm only intimidated them because intimidated by them because I don't want them to know that I don't want to suck their dick. And, <laughs> and then this guy just, like, yelled from the audience. And I don't even remember. This was, oh, this was the very first time I ever did stand up. He just yelled from the audience. And I don't know exactly what he yelled. What I think I heard was like, oh, suck this or something like that. And I just responded with, no. And it was the first time I was doing stand up. So then I blanked and I forgot the rest of my oh, set. Yeah. <sighs> it's okay. I just like stood there in silence for like a few seconds. But and he then deserved I made it. a joke. He did. Ugh, what a dick. Don't want to suck your dick, boy. I don't. But I think like that's it's funny. It's especially for a female comedian going into those spaces. Um, you meet a lot of interesting people, and you have a lot of interesting audiences. And it's a very misogynistic and very masochistic. And like we have groups on Facebook and group chats on Instagram and stuff of just female comedians trying to lift each other up in the city of Toronto, trying to be like, "Don't work with this guy. Do work with this guy," um, because it's just it's it can be really unsafe. And, um, 
And so I'm really grateful that I found such a lovely group of women and men who yeah. are supportive and able to like keep an eye out for one another. I think but, I yeah. think that's great. I think that's uh, that's amazing that you have <laughs> a, a a group of support and uh, yeah, not catty, just supporting each other and yeah. Oh yeah, they're the best. I love they're that. The best. <laughs> yeah. So how did it start? Uh, you you said your family thought you weren't funny and then classes, but uh, how did you start doing comedy? Um, so I had been wanting to do stand up for five years before I actually started. Um, yeah. I have always really loved being shocking. I like saying stuff that makes people go, wait, what? Um, it used to be from like, as a teen, just like telling all my different stories and trying to get people to like, listen and pay attention and make them laugh. And, um, a close friend of mine at the time was really supportive and we would get together and um, sit in parking lots until like three in the morning, just workshopping different standup material. And um, I had another teacher turned friend who I would like send some jokes to, and she thought they were really funny, but also like really jarring. And I was like, yes, this is the vibe that I want. Um, and so over time I was kind of just like gearing myself up for it. The joke that started me on my, questioning about if I could be a comedian was um, a joke that I have about how um, Jews are horny motherfuckers and I think it's because of Hitler right. I don't think we're I, horny I for Hitler yeah. yeah I don't think we're horny for Hitler baby but we are trying to get back at him for what he did to us you know procreate the shit right. out of our community can't get rid of us Hitler how's that for a slow burn And that was the joke that I had had in my head since day one. And I was like, I don't know if that's too strong. That's too out there. Like, obviously my parents didn't like that joke. My grandparents, I wouldn't say that joke to. Um, Let me just so, say it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thanks. So that was like the joke that set me on my journey. And so I was finally in 2018, I was working a job. Yeah. So end of 2018 into 2019, I was working a job that I really wasn't happy with. Um, it was my first full-time job out of school and I was really excited about having a full-time job and I was making all this money, which was great, but I wasn't happy and I wasn't enjoying it. And I missed acting and I missed performing, but I couldn't have it because I wasn't getting auditions and it was just this frustrating pull and uh, push and pull. And then finally, I think I just decided, oh, I was watching Marvelous Mrs. Maisel Amazing and show. yeah, yeah. Ugh, love it. Um, Just, you, you gotta love a Jew doing stand-up in period, <laughs> yeah. like the 1950s, beautiful woman does stand-up, shows her tits. Like that was me. I was like, this is fantastic. <laughs> If only I was older when they were casting this, my God, that role would have been perfect for me. But instead they cast a goy. Um, what does that whatever. mean by the way? I'm just, oh, goy. It's, it's a Yiddish word oh. for a non-Jew. Okay. Yeah. And like, mind I'm you, she's, <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. I, I forget sometimes I'll explain no, if fine. anything, but, um, yeah. So, I mean, she's fantastic. I think she's great in the role and, um, she grew up in a super Jewish part of like just outside Chicago. My cousin went, to, they went to the same school together and stuff. So she does a really great job with it. It's just, I was like, man, I wish she was Jewish. Would have been nice if like a Jew played a Jew. Um, but I was watching I didn't know it that. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. She's not, but Alex Borstein is, and she's great. I love her. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I was watching Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and I was just so inspired by seeing a woman 
who was also Jewish, who was making fun of her family, was making fun of her, her heritage and her culture and, um, and being welcomed by it and getting the laughs and the exhilarating aspect of it. And I was just the, the, the and the fast back and forth dialogue and like the dinner table scenes like are right. so accurate to what it's like with my family. And I was just like, okay, it was December, 2018. I was like, I'm not in a job. I like, I'm watching Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. It's a new year next year. And I don't really have anything to show for it. So fuck it. I'm going to sign up for stand up classes at second city in Toronto. And I'm just going to see if I like it. I'm just going to do it for fun. Cause up until this point, every performance class I had done had been on a professional level. Right. Yeah. And you know what that's like, you go into a professional level class and everyone's so serious and like they they're like, Tell me about this is it. their life. And they're so like, it's, an, that's it's a what I intensity. hate by the way about yeah. acting now like I've done so many especially in Toronto that I'm like every time I go into an acting class it's not fun it's just yeah it turns out to be the business uh, after a while and oh which agent I'm I'm gonna yeah. approach. oh or, what like, did you audition for when did, what did you do last week? Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah. yeah it's uh it's annoying yeah so I had just that's all I'd ever done so I was like okay this was like a level one stand-up class um Everyone, I was the only one in the class who had professional acting experience. Everyone else was just like someone was um, a doctor. Someone else was like working at U of T and like their administrative department. Like everyone came from different parts and it was so eye-opening and relaxing to be around a group of people that weren't just actors trying to do the acting thing. Yeah. Um, And after telling my very first joke to that room of other want to be comedians with me and they all laughed and they were all so shocked too that like I came out with this Hitler joke looking the way that I look they were like they were shocked and they were laughing and they were excited and I was like okay yeah this is this is my thing so I finished the whole that whole session we had a show at the very end where we got to do our stand-up and showcase it for the first time and we sold out our first show so fast that they had to add a second show and oh, I just remember getting on stage and I hadn't been on stage in so long because of my experience with theater school. I was kind of like staying away from theater. Also the theater, like theater in general is very like capital A art. So unless you have a degree in theater, no one really trusts you in theater, which is I or think cares. a little bit messed up <laughs> or cares. So it's not even like I could get back into theater because I didn't end up having the degree. No one looked at me seriously. Right. So I got back on stage after having not been on stage in a very long time and I had the microphone in my hand and I had the audience in front of me and I felt at home. And that was like, that felt so comfortable. And even though I was nervous and I was like dripping sweat down my, the sides of my body, um, it felt like home and I missed it so much. And it had been years since I'd been back on, on that stage. And after that, it was history. I was like, okay, I have to keep doing this. It's also great too, like as a TV writer to say, oh, I do stand-up comedy and I write TV comedies. People trust you as a TV writer more because you have the stand-up experience. So it all worked hand in hand and has helped my acting career too. Like my agents are now able to pitch me as a comedian rather than just an actor who can be funny sometimes. Um, Amazing. So that's been really fantastic too. Yeah. But I'm just, uh, I'm just glowing. I just hearing that that story is just, uh, yeah. I I know what that feels like to feel at home and to feel that you love something so much that 
it's the same for me with writing and uh yeah mm -hmm. I, and every time i go on stage and like i i love especially the theater i like i, I miss it now because i don't mm -hmm. do it as much and uh but yeah it's uh it's the same feeling i i get it oh thank you <laughs> no problem i love talking to like fellow theater yeah. lovers about the feeling because it's just it's so hard to describe to other people who haven't experienced it for themselves and then yeah we get to bond over it it's just it's the most beautiful thing oh yeah it's <laughs> amazing yeah so do you remember the first time you bombed i don't think i've ever actually bombed but i also have a different perspective about bombing i think that okay. the average person does um i love failing i'm very happy to fail i'm very good at failing yeah um because my mom is a leadership coach and she's like, oh, failing is the first attempt in learning, F-A-I-L. And I'm like, haha. So I don't, <laughs> I don't see it as, I don't see it as the super negative thing. Um, but I wouldn't say I've ever bombed to the point where it's been absolute crickets the entire time. Right. Um, I have had jokes here or there that just haven't landed. And so I go back and I use that as an opportunity to rewrite and try to work through things. Um, but I, I do a lot of preparation. So some comedians get up on stage and just kind of like ramble out of their mind, kind of what they're thinking and there's not a lot of structure. And so they're kind of just like waiting for something to land. It's I like do improv a, for a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Whereas I do a lot of writing, rewriting and prep before I get on a stage. Um, I pretty much write myself a script, get on a stage. And then if it flows in a different direction, great. But I don't, I don't really um, just like get up and ramble. So I've, by the time I get on a stage in front of an audience of people, I've tested out my joke on at least six different people in my own life before right. I get on a stage in front of an audience. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't say I've ever bombed. I've definitely gotten silence. I've definitely gotten, <laughs> I once did a joke and there was silence and someone in the audience just yelled, boo. Oh and I was just like, and was I'm it like, the oh, same guy? Thank you so much. No. Could you imagine? Actually, <laughs> I don't know. It was dark out in the audience i can oh it's the same the same time the same uh, night or no it wasn't the same oh, night it was okay. it was a much later but yeah. it's fun when i hear because to me if someone yells boo at least they're still interacting with me in my right. show yeah whereas like again if they're, they're listening off, yeah they're listening they're paying attention um especially my hitler joke for example i don't expect it to get laughs um I hope it does, but I know that it's dark and I know that it makes a lot of people feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And unless they truly love like super dark, horrible humor, it's really not going to land for them. So I know my material too is a bit of a hit and miss just in terms of taste, yeah. um, which is why I try to, I usually try to create an arc to my show that has the dark stuff mixed in with some of the light dumb right. stuff so yeah. that everyone has an opportunity to laugh at something because I'm not at a place in my life or in my career yet. Right. where I have such a niche and I know that that audience will show up for me. Yeah. So I kind of have to adjust as I go, but I don't think I've bombed I'm trying to think if I, Oh, I once did a show that was like super weird and uncomfortable. It's also when you do open mics in Toronto, some of the open mics are literally just comedians watching comedians and there's no real right. audience there. So I went to a show once where I didn't end up getting on stage. I'd signed up to do the open mic sat in the audience and there were three of us actually in the audience watching the comedian all the right. other audience members slash comedians were off at the bar talking to each other so it was so loud everyone at the bar was so loud they weren't paying attention and then this these people were getting up in front of a microphone in front of the three of us who actually cared so i ended up um 
like after my friend went up and did her set and I found out that I was like five people away from going up I was like don't worry take my name off the list and I left because I was like I can do this in my bedroom (laughs) if I want three people to stare at me not laugh and have other noise in the background like I'll set up my stuffed animals and do stand up to them you know I don't need I don't need to be in a in a a a a grungy restaurant in Toronto's West End where people don't respect you just so I can talk into a microphone. I also think my experience in acting means that I don't need the same amount of stage time that other people might need. So getting up with a microphone in front of even just three people is so beneficial for so many people. But because I've grown up doing theater, I have grown up performing in front of an audience of 1,500 to 2,000 people at any given time. I'm not, I I don't get as nervous being physically on stage it's more so just how can I find ways to hone my material and that's just through a lot of writing groups friends that have put up with my comedy (laughs) just call them up and I'll say (laughs) I'll like try to I'll try to like slip the joke casually into conversation I won't be like I have a joke for you so I want to see is it natural does it fit does it catch them off guard and sometimes it really doesn't land like I'll be sitting at a kitchen like at the dinner table with my family and I'll try to make a joke and everyone just stares at me and then right. I'm just like, yeah, no, that wasn't funny. <laughs> so we just move on. Yeah. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be this like, oh my God, I made a joke that wasn't funny. And now I'm not funny at all. Like, ugh, it's so overdramatic. Yeah. I was about to ask uh, what was your process, but I think you covered it. I think that, that, that's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you, you talk to people Writing and you, and you try it. Yeah. You try them out. And uh, I think that that's fun because I, I don't write that way. I like, I, I write dramatic stuff most of the time. Mm-hmm. It's still funny, but yeah. Uh, yeah. And I write on my own and I don't share with anyone except like my editor and uh, because uh, I just wrote a book and it's the only Congrats. person that's saw that's that. uh, yeah thank you <laughs> I'm so excited well thank you um but yeah and uh the editor is the only person that gave me comments because I trusted him and I didn't want mm-hmm. my family to to just uh, say oh I, I like it and uh, it's good you know I wanted yeah. like like critical <laughs> thinking you know yeah. um yeah. so yeah well, my family a, is so fine with being critical they love it there you go but I get it like especially when you're writing a novel you it's also I feel like it's a different kind of art in that you want the perspective of the people that you trust um in getting it to the place that needs people who understand story people who understand you know I I definitely have tested out my jokes and things on people who aren't comedians and I usually do that much later in the process because if they try to give me feedback being like I think you should try it this way I'm like well okay I'll try it but you don't like you aren't in the industry. You don't know how a joke is supposed to be structured. You just think that you might like it if it's phrased that way. Whereas, you know, talking to people that I trust, like other comedians, I get so much more like bang for my buck, I guess, in terms of like asking them for feedback. Um, But that's awesome. As long as you have someone who can give you feedback that you trust, I feel like that's so important in the creative process. Are people sometimes like, jealous and uh i don't know uh want to steal your jokes or just uh do you uh, often like in the writing process uh uh i don't know because you you said uh, you talk to other comedians so mm-hmm. are they like stealing your stuff or what are you scared about that um i'm not scared about it at all um so first of all i have like a, a really fantastic group of comedian right. friends that i trust and are super um 
just gracious and brilliant. Like they're coming up with endless material on their own. It's, they don't need to take it from me. The comedians that I do worry about taking material are those kinds of like misogynistic men. But a lot of my jokes are so specifically female. I don't know if they would even be able to make it work for themselves, but in life, I mean, people worry about this too, when you submit a show to a production company or a network and you have to sign a submission release and people are always so worried. Aren't you, aren't you scared? They're going to steal your idea. You can't copyright an idea. You can only copyright what's written down. And hopefully what's written down is a strong enough voice and is a specific enough voice and authentic enough to you. Because if it's so incredibly authentic to you, someone else taking your joke makes absolutely no sense and they're never going to do it the justice it needs. So I'm not, I'm not really concerned. And also being a writer is writing. So if someone takes your joke, let it go and move on to the next one because your job is to write. Your job is to come up with material. And if someone is (laughs) um, dumb enough to steal ideas instead of learning how to build their own ideas, just feel bad for them. You can pity them. Pity is fine. And yeah. move on. And I write guess something else. Yeah, I guess more. My question was, uh, like, do they give you often like bad advice just to throw you off because oh. they, they want to? No, yeah. I don't think not so, so much I'm... steal your stuff or just uh, <laughs> no. throw you off because they're jealous or they see you. I don't know. No, thankfully, thankfully, the comedians I surround myself with are very like confident, self-assured people when it comes to their comedy, and also it makes everyone else look better, right? You want to be. A, a lot of them are are producers in their own right. And so they produce their own shows. And so it makes sense for them to book good comedians on their shows. They don't want to book bad comedians. And on top of that, as a comedian, you you want the energy to stay high the entire night. So you don't want to be before or after a comedian where like their stuff sucks. As much as like some people might think of it strategically that way and be catty about it that way. I like running on the high of other people. And I think because right. I put that energy out there, other people, like the people that I surround myself with are like yeah. that. But yeah, everyone's super supportive. They're also like <laughs> humans are so incredibly self-centered, like so self-centered. So half the time yeah. they are not even paying attention to me. I walk in a room, like into the green room to get ready for the show and they have their headphones in and they're all serious. Like, Focus, or they're yeah. off at the bar getting like four drinks because they're nervous. Like they're, they don't care about me. They don't give a shit about me. And then when I workshop with like my actual friends, uh, they're awesome because they're my friends and um, they only want to help me make stuff better. And two, like we give jokes to one another. So if I'm helping a friend workshop a joke, they'll tell me what their premise is. They might tell me some setups and punchlines. I might come up with a better punchline or I might come up with a better setup. And I give it to them because it's their joke. Even though I came up with maybe that specific line or that specific word, or maybe even an idea for them to run with, it was inspired by their right. original concept or their original premise. Therefore, it belongs to them. And I'm just here to be inspired by them and and support them. So I feel like there's also a lot of give and take in that way where it becomes a much more collaborative experience. They can take ownership of the joke. I don't care. Um, if I came up with a premise and I came up with a joke and they came up with a piece off of it and they wanted to use that piece that they came up with in their own set. I've never come across that, but I don't think I'd have a problem with it. Um, but again, I don't know. <laughs> We'd have to see, but yeah. I thankfully have not, not dealt with any of that sort of thing. But I think what you said about the, the stealing first is, uh, is important because you are your own person. You have your own style. Nobody else can do it, you know, yeah. except you, because it's 
ultimately, yeah, people might give you idea, but it's your jokes, it's your style, it's the way you deliver it, and uh, it's all you, you know. So yeah. <laughs> uh, that that makes it hard for it's like auditioning for the same for for the same part, and uh, yeah. Yeah, and just you the uh, same you're, lines. you're either the part or you're not, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's so true. I feel like especially because of acting, maybe, that that's given me, like, no one can perform my stuff better than me. And if they can perform my stuff better than me, then I'll just write for them, <laughs> right? Like, I'm a writer, so I'll write for someone else if they're going to exactly. perform it better. I'll write it for me if I'm going to perform it better. Um, I have a web series that I'm working on right now. And I keep bouncing back and forth between which role I might want to play in the web series come time for production. And I just can't decide, but I have another friend in mind for one of the roles, but I see her as both as well. And so yeah. it's not about me wanting the quote unquote best role. because I think all the roles are great, but it's about making sure you find the right person to be the voice for the words you yeah. put on the page. Do you, do you find yourself? Cause I, I write parts for myself too. And yeah. you find yourself uh, sometimes wanted to wanting to play the part that's most like natural to you like I, I like to play bad guys and I like to, to do that. but sometimes <laughs> so I'm like most oh. naturally a bad guy <laughs> yeah exactly uh no I'm good I'm good but uh yeah um no I I, I just uh what was I about to say but uh yeah it's uh I play I play bad uh, I want to play the bad guy but sometimes you're like you're looking at the material and you're like actually this character is so so much more interesting and so like uh and I've never done that before so do you you find yourself doing that and uh do you uh want to challenge yourself more sometimes yeah I definitely I definitely always <laughs> yeah I definitely always always find a way to write for myself in whatever I'm writing actually the first there was one show that I had started developing and had written a few different pilots yeah. for um and that was the first time I'd ever written something where I wouldn't have been able to play any of the roles and it felt weird for sure. Um, thankfully, I'm not really pursuing that one anymore. And I'm sticking right. to the ones where I write roles for myself. But I think to an extent, every character that I write has an aspect of myself in it, has an aspect of my friends, my life, the people I'm surrounded with. I, yeah. I typically don't stray too far away from the, my own personal lived experience because yeah. I think of that authenticity. I know that. Yeah. yeah. So um, all my characters I, are me. So. <laughs> so some I part think, of me yeah so I feel like I don't know I I could play any of my roles and I I don't know if any of them would be a challenge per se um it's just more what would I have more fun with so I yeah. this web series that I'm writing <clears throat> sorry um this web series that I'm writing there's there are two very different characters and both of them are me but the thing I'm worried about is if I play one of the characters who is more like dry, um, solemn, dark. It, I'm scared I'm not going to be able to bring the comedy to that role in the way that it needs to exist versus the other character who's like super kooky and out there and a lot more like my stand-up persona. So it's a lot. It's something I'm a lot more comfortable with. So I think in that case, to answer your question, I have been considering playing that darker character because it would be more of a challenge, but right. because it would be more of a challenge, I'm nervous about doing it justice. And I care more about the work than I do about giving myself a challenge as an actor. I want to make sure that the story is told That's properly. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
So I'm going back and forth on it. I'm seeing new drafts. We'll see what comes out of it. I'm sure I'll do different reads and I'll workshop it where I play both options and kind of see what feels better. But I thankfully also have an incredible director on board who um, wants to collaborate and hopefully um, and, and an incredible producer on board who has just been giving some really great advice. So I think through those collaborations, we'll be able to find the right fit for the production and what's, what's best for the story. And I'm just, I just get to be a part of that. I just want to be a part of it in any way and, and bring the story to life. Um, Yeah. I think uh, that's really interesting that you're, you care more about the work than to challenge yourself. Uh, I think there's got to be like, uh, like a balance too, I think. Oh, for uh, sure. There's definitely a happy medium. I just don't want to, no, no, I, I, I get it. I, and I respect that. And I love <laughs> that you're doing that. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, I definitely think that there's a room and a space to be challenged. I'm in a place in my career right now where right. I haven't, people aren't right. booking me. People yeah, aren't exactly. even auditioning, like bringing me in for auditions uh, very much. I do get a few, but not a lot. And so because of that, I want to pick the role as well, just strategically for my career. I want to pick the role that I know I'm going to nail that people are going to look at it and say, wow, that's perfect for her. Exactly. We want her to come in and do this. The it's not like you've been doing the office for 10 years on the same exactly. role. You want to challenge And yourself. I want to do yeah. something that like is different. I want to yeah. find the niche, fit the niche. And then after that, um, if I want to take on the challenging roles or then I can do it later on when I've established myself, but I feel like challenging myself this early in the game yeah. could, you know, be worse rather than better. That's actually brilliant. (laughs) No, no, I agree with that. Nothing stays buried forever, especially not the past. Yesterday is Not Yet Gone, a mystery novel by Gabriel Vega, host of the Very Creative Podcast. Available now, paperback and digital. GabrielVega.com. Buy it now. Um, yeah. So what's your, this comes from Josette. I asked her to give me tips for questions. Uh, what's your, your favorite joke? Oh my God. My favorite, like of my stuff or of like jokes other people have made. Or you can do both. Yeah. Okay. Um, so of my stuff, what's my favorite joke? I haven't done my stand up in so long. I would probably say my Hitler joke is probably my favorite just because it's the baby that started the whole process. Um, I have a really fantastic anal sex joke that that I enjoy. Um, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh my god, I'm gonna botch it because I haven't done it in so long. Okay. Um, Putting you on the spot right there. I guess I'll do it from the whole beginning of like that portion that I've put together. Sure. And we'll see if I remember it. It'll be a fun test. And for anyone listening to this podcast, if That's I fuck perfect. it up, go check it out on YouTube. And then someday I'll remember it and do it live and you can come see me. But if I fuck it up here, welcome to the process. Okay. (laughs) Um, uh, So I I segue from talking about penetration. So I say, speaking of penetration, when I was in grade eight, I was penetrated by feminism. Um, I was doing a speech for a speech contest about female genital mutilation in developing countries. And even though I got an A plus on the speech in the speech contest, I didn't move on to the next round. And I think that's just another way that they're silencing women. I think there was another part in there, but we're going to keep moving. Um, 
<laughs> oh my God. This is so cute. Okay. <laughs> my girlfriend is in the other room. And I guess she was listening in a little bit. And because I couldn't remember my own punchline, she just texted me my punchline. <laughs> Incredible. The, the punchline was, thank you, Julia. Oh my God, she's the sweetest. Oh, she's amazing. The punchline was, so because I did a speech about a speech contest about female genital mutilation at a Jewish day school, I think it hit a little too close to home for the boys. So that's a joke about circumcision. But <laughs> um, I, the, the setup and punchline is not great right now because I don't remember it. Let me see here. Um, stand up. Oh, here's my, I'm very organized. I have a whole folder. There you go. <laughs> In my in in my um, stand up set lists, I give like all my jokes different titles. So this section is called female genital mutilation, abortion, toxic shock, and anal. So that's that's what we're about to jump into. Right. Um. Yeah. Okay. So she gave me she gave me my punchline. You know, probably hit a little too close to home for the boys. Uh, and then I talk about how you know it's just one more way that they're silencing women. And then I say, because if you've had a uterus lately, things have kind of been shit <laughs> between Alabama, Missouri, Georgia, they're all trying to take away our right to choose. And that's fucked. But I like to think on the bright side. I like to think we still have lots of choices in life, like between an alleyway and a coat hanger. So I love, <laughs> I love jokes where you're like, holy shit, that's true. But also that's funny because you're not, you're kind of not expecting it. And I'm yeah. coming from such a positive place. You never would think that it's going to go that dark. Um, so, so this one is probably my favorite. There's a really big difference between men and women. Ask any man about peeing in a public restroom and they're fine, just whip it out while standing. But ask any woman and she'll say everything is disgusting except her own personal washroom at home. And I think it's because we have to sit down to pee and it's a very vulnerable thing to open up your asshole. Take anal sex, for example. There's always the fear of shitting yourself. You can go into it like 90% confident, but that's gray bedsheets level confident. No one is 100% white bedsheets level confident. <laughs> so that joke, the reason I love it so much is not necessarily because it's my best joke, but because it was a beautiful collaboration between me and another comedian. So I had already started talking about this kind of anal sex joke but he, I was chatting with this friend and he's gay and he's like, Maxine, do you know, like, there's a reason gay men don't own white bed sheets. <laughs> we just don't trust it. And I was like, holy shit, you're right. That's brilliant. And so because of his comment on my joke and something that I already started, I was able to infuse some of what he had inspired me with into my joke. So that's also kind of a fun example tying back to, are you scared people are going to steal your jokes? I think he can do his own version of that because- right he's a gay man. So he's from a, a different community. It's a different perspective. My perspective is coming from the fact that yeah. women don't like sitting on toilets because it's too exposing for our buttholes to be out in public spaces um, versus his would come from a completely different, a different place. So I think that one's my favorite of like my own personal jokes right now. Right. Uh, there's a fantastic comedian in Toronto named Hoda Hersey. She, I highly recommend you follow her on social media as she's fantastic. Right. Um, and I'm not going to do her joke for you um, because I'm going to botch it. And also it's her voice, but she does an incredible joke talking about um, racism and because uh, she's black and Muslim. So she comes from the, the perspective talking about kind of the different hierarchy of um, 
races and she talks about the model minority myth. And so one of the things she talks about is how like Jewish people, because on the, you know, in minorities, their people are organized in terms of like the model minority, which can, is Asian people all the way down to black people, which are seen as like the bottom of the ladder in terms of minorities. And so she makes a joke where she says, um, Jewish people are just the black people of white people because we're at the bottom of the ladder in terms of like the white group. And I just, she does it well. And I highly recommend checking her, checking out and her actually doing the joke because the way she says What's it her name again? Fantastic. Hoda Hersey, H O O D O H E R S I, I believe. Um, she, she opened up for so many comedians at JFL 42 last year. She's phenomenal. Definitely on the up and up. You should check her out. Um, and I don't know if I just ruined her joke by telling you the ending, <laughs> but it's a joke that has stuck with me because it's my favorite kind of humor, which is political, um, biting, still funny, subversive, um, and covers a whole range of experiences. You know, I, I got to enjoy this joke and appreciate this joke because she was able to not only make it about a personal connection to me, but also make it funny for everyone else. And also, right. You know, like she did a fantastic job with that. So I think that's probably one of my favorite jokes from her. <laughs> awesome. So who's your biggest inspiration? <sighs> my biggest inspiration, I would say probably Sarah Silverman. Um, in terms of stand-up, I would probably say Sarah Silverman, Amy Schumer. Um, who else do I follow? Uh, Instagram, like Whitney Cummings. But in terms of TV writing, and I guess like Alana Glazer kind of is on both sides, but in terms of TV writing, like I'm most inspired, I think I'm more inspired in TV writing than I am in stand-up specifically. Right. But in TV writing, um, Alana Glazer, Abby Jacobson, um, Maya Erskine and Anna Conkle. I don't know if you've seen Pen15, but it is fantastic. Yeah. The first season is available for free on CBC Gem. I highly recommend it. Season two just came out on Hulu, which we can't get in Canada, which is very sad. Um, yeah. But they're fantastic. And I think it really just comes down to, oh, and Rachel Bloom. Oh, my God. I love Rachel Bloom. Yeah. She's I saw fantastic. you took a picture with her. Yeah. I went mm -hmm. all the way to Montreal for JFL and waited outside after we saw her stand-up show. Because I hadn't seen her. Well, it was like stand-up and music and like a bunch of stuff from Crazy Ex-Girlfriends. And oh, I was such a fan. So That I show is so out. good, by the way. Yeah. So good. I'm so sad it's over. Um, but I was standing outside. I had heard from someone else that she comes out and says hi at the end of every one of her shows. So I stood outside with like five yeah. other people. She looks so happy her. to see you. Because I was literally, I literally word vomited and like half cried about um, how much she inspires me. Like she's literally a writer, creator, performer. She wasn't getting the roles that she wanted. She wasn't getting auditions. And so she went out and she wrote something for herself and she built an entire show. And her show was on a different network, got canceled and moved to another network. And then she later won an Emmy for it in a way where people were like, no one's going to watch this show. Yeah. Um, and the same thing, you know, with Broad City, they they were on one network. It got canceled. Thankfully, they were given all of their IP back and they were able to take it elsewhere and have such a big success out of it. So I think just incredible women who don't let other people tell them what they can or can't do um, is incredibly inspiring for me. So I definitely take, and that's, you know, Sarah Silverman is just like balls to the wall about that sort of thing. And I love how raunchy she is. At one point, someone, like some troll on YouTube tried to comment on one of my pictures being right. like, oh, she's, she's, she's just another Sarah Silverman. 
And I was like, that's the biggest compliment you could ever say to me. And then go. they spelled Silverman wrong. And I was like, come on, man. <laughs> a typo and a troll, I'll take it. Oh, amazing. Oh, no, I love that. Um, <laughs> so what what's your what's your goal uh to what's your ultimate like goal in your career well my is there something goal. that you see yeah oh i dream every day um my ultimate goal is to be a showrunner <laughs> um yeah i want to i want to write produce yeah. and act in my own content i want to be a vessel for other people and their voices too. I want to create writers rooms of people that have such unique stories that they get to share. I don't, I want to be a decision maker. I'm done waiting around for someone else to tell me yes or no. And I mean, as a showrunner, you're still kind of in that space because you have to get a network on board right. or a production company, you know, you're still, you're still doing the shopping around, but when it comes to the creation of the show and the, the voices that get to be a part of it, I really want that. I'm so inspired by um, Gloria Calderon Colette. Um, she's a showrunner, creator of uh, One Day at a Time. Okay. And she she's just fantastic in how she perceives the industry. She also started as an actress, didn't like what she was seeing, didn't like the roles she was going up for, um, started writing, and is now a showrunner for this incredible show, started on Netflix, moved to Pop TV, now it's on CBS. And like yeah. they just don't stop. They keep fighting, and it's such a resonant show. Um It's incredible so what you can achieve when once you understand that you have to write your own stuff and yes. you know it's uh, Oh my it's god, incredible. the world is your oyster. Yeah. And I and I want to be I want to be a champion too. I want to champion other people's stuff. So down the line as a showrunner I'd also love to have my own production company and right. and start commissioning material from other people and be yeah. their champion. I don't need to always be the voice in the room. I don't need to be the one in charge oh. of that specific production, but I want to be in charge enough that I can make a difference in bringing someone else's voice and someone else's story along. So showrunner slash production company when I have enough success that people care <laughs> what I have to offer in terms of other things. That's um, the dream. That's, uh, yeah. that's my dream too. I, yeah. I like, I I'm writing a, like I, I write novels now because I, I was, because I was writing scripts before, but I was getting pissed off that nobody was like, <laughs> calling me or like emailing me or and for scripts you need people to like you need a camera you need a crew you need yeah. a and i was like i just want this out there <laughs> so <laughs> i started writing novels and i was like okay let's do that for for now and i yeah. really love it i really love it but i like i said at the beginning of the podcast like the dream would be to go to la and mm -hmm. to like yeah start like maybe turn my books into shows and like yeah keep that'd be writing awesome. scripts i i'd love to do that like screenwriting is the dream for me uh That's but awesome. yeah the, the beautiful thing is like everyone is buying ip and turning it into stuff no one yeah. I, i it's very rare that people are looking at like truly truly new ideas yeah. um working at a production company now like everyone wants and you know doing my internship at the other production company in LA like everyone wants novels they want novels okay. or articles or um or you know some youtube celebrity that they can then turn in and monetize off of because right. there's already an ingrained audience so i think the direction the strategy that you're looking at yeah. is really perfect for that in terms of yeah. writing the novel not waiting for anyone else getting it published 
and finding a way to turn it into a show or a movie. That sounds awesome. I'm so excited yeah, I, for you. Yeah, thank you. Well, I've gone to, through the process, like writing scripts. I, I wrote a pilot and everything. I wrote several mm -hmm. pilots, actually. And But then it's like they also want, because uh, at one point I was like, I, I want to be a staff writer. I'm just going to invest on, on that, like my time mm -hmm. on that. And then you have to write for, for scripts for other shows. And that was just like... A, I love that, but I also hate it because it's not my <laughs> own voice and you're yeah. like, it feels wrong. And um, I don't really want to do that. I'd rather invest time in my own stuff, to be honest, and to like invest in my voice. So yeah, it's uh yeah, I don't know. I mean, the beautiful weird. thing, I, I get that. The beautiful thing about writing a spec script or yeah, exactly. writing for someone else is the fact that you get to bring your voice to it. You know, you want, right. I just wrote, I just wrote a spec script for pen 15. And as much as I made sure I stayed in the tone of the show with the characters voices, I mean, the show already resonates with me to begin with. It already feels very similar to my voice. Thank goodness. Yeah. But the story that I got to bring to my spec script is something that's so personal to me and is something that I felt like only I could tell. And because of that's that, true. I was that's able true. to, showcase my voice within yeah. the context of someone else's show so i think that there's there are definitely multiple ways to do that but honing your voice in your original content yeah. is so important because it'll then influence whatever you do after that even if you end up writing for someone else um if you write your own stuff like people are hiring you not because you can put words on a page in the correct order they're hiring yeah. you because you have something to offer you have a voice a story a perspective to offer exactly. that they're missing out on hopefully i mean we're thankfully trending more in that direction um, yeah. because it, it frequently was not necessarily the case, but the goal is to hire people that have something to offer. That's not just being a robot to put words on a page, right? We want people to bring their own personal experience. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not writing it out, like writing spec scripts. I'm just saying that uh, it's, I, I needed for me to just invest in my voice and in my mm -hmm. own stuff also to discover my style and to yeah. do to do that uh and i still want write spec scripts uh, i i i considered like i didn't do it this year but i consider every year doing the the warner brother thing and i oh yeah and then and do the I, nickelodeon tried, one yeah, yeah yeah the warner brothers thing you need to be able to work in the us oh. to get the warner brothers one but nickelodeon has one where they accept one international person every year now I, I I put my one stuff in this year. <laughs> one international person. I put my stuff in this year, not because I think I'm going to get it by any means, but it was a really good excuse to give myself a deadline to write some new material yeah. that I hadn't, you know, forced me outside my comfort zone. Um, but I get it. It's so important to figure out what your voice is, and I think stand-up comedy did that for me in a way that right. I didn't have in my writing before. So even though I've been writing, you know, TV and developing <clears throat> developing my own stuff. Um, for the last five or six years, I wouldn't say I really figured out what my voice is until this past year and a half because yeah. of stand-up. So it's so important to invest in figuring out who you are and yeah. what you think and how you want to um, share that with the world. So that's awesome that you're doing that. I can't wait to read your book. I'm so pumped. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Um, it's very like feminist. And, uh, yeah, yeah, the I, synopsis sounded so cool. Yeah, I hate hypermasculinity, so I'm just gonna say. Yeah, love yeah. it, love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I guess that brings me to uh, one of my final question: is uh, what do you 
uh, care about? What do you care to write about? Like feminism? What What is it? Yeah, um, I care to write about intersectional feminism. I think that that's so important. Um, I care about LGBTQ issues. I'm bisexual and I feel like bi erasure is just so huge, yeah, um, so prevalent. So I'm really, I'm really interested in writing about that experience. Um, mental health is so important to me. My web series oh, yeah. right now is a dark comedy about mental illness, depression, anxiety, and I'd love to explore other aspects of mental illness as well. But because I've only personally experienced depression and anxiety, that's what I'm focusing on for now. And then when I'm able to build out a much more significant room and maybe turn it into something larger, I want to have other voices of people with those kinds of personal experiences um, and varying personal experiences with mental illness. But those are kind of my three, my top three, intersectional feminism, um, LGBTQ and mental illness. Oh, and Judaism. That mostly comes through. That mostly comes through in my standup. I would say a bit more than it comes through in my TV writing. But I love being Jewish. I'm so proud of being Jewish. I love educating people. My favorite thing is if there's a Jewish holiday coming up to like invite non-Jewish friends over, teach them about what is this holiday about, why does it matter, what are we doing. My girlfriend um, is from Brazil and she's Catholic, right. and I have a joke actually. Oh, also one of my funny jokes. I have a joke where um, I went to my mom. And I told her that uh, about my new girlfriend. And this was the first time I was telling my mom about any relationship. I had just come out to her as bisexual. And I told her, mom, I have a new girlfriend. Um, and my mom, you know, she got a little upset. She got teary eyed. She was like, really, Maxine, a Catholic? So it's just like a funny play on the fact that she had no problem with the fact that she was a woman. Um, just you know the religion aspect and my mom didn't actually entirely react that way i'm playing it up for the comedy my mom's like amazing and loving right. and, and welcoming but my dad like the, <laughs> the first time julia came over to our house my dad put on a keepa for dinner like the the little yarmulke right for his head and like up until that point, we had had so many Shabbat dinners, Friday night dinners, where he didn't put on a kippah. And all of a sudden, we bring a non-Jew into our house, and he was like, keep it on. Let me teach you about the ways of the Jews. Not in any way to try to, like, convert anyone. But right. he's just so proud about sharing his knowledge and his love and his experience. And that kind of flooded down into me. It's cute. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> challah. Just everyone, go eat some challah. It's delicious. Put some <laughs> Nutella on it. Make some French toast. It's fantastic. Um, but yeah, I think those are my top four main things that I like to focus on. Uh, so my last question, which will go into my 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 game at the end. Uh, Yay, so, games. I love games. Yeah, well, it's a question game, but... I love games. Kind Any of a games. game. <laughs> <laughs> um, so do you... Are you during the day, do you f feel like you're thinking about your writing and your your comedy all the time and how do you uh chill out when you're like <laughs> this is not working and i just need to uh relax a little bit i relax with a lot of reality television i what do you watch love... oh my god okay one second let me drink a sip of water before i get into this list <laughs> okay to start the show of all shows, Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Okay. I haven't seen it in a long time because I no longer have cable. But, man, I love that family. I love that family so much. 
I follow all of them on social media. Um, I think they're brilliant. Um, I think they're so fascinating. And more than that, I love the sociological commentary that I get to experience as an audience member watching um, watching what they are into and then reading the comments of their fans. Because I wouldn't say that I'm like their typical fan necessarily. Right. But I love the sociological analysis. Um, and then also just like the super cheesy. I just I just love watching them in their cute clothes and drama over like <laughs> salad. <clears throat> um so I watched that. I've been watching a lot of RuPaul lately. A lot okay. of RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, I am, oh, 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 I just love it. The drama, the clothing. It's fantastic. Um, I love a good, like, home reno show. I'm such an old lady. I love home reno shows. So to list those, love it or list it, Property Brothers. There were, like, those, like, Oh, there was one on HGTV that was like this couple in, in Texas or Tennessee and they were flipping houses. Um, I just watched like now on Netflix, I've, I finished watching interior design masters and I finished watching one of the seasons of instant hotel. And I have like, my list is just like home reno slash home buying shows. Mm. Um, so that's a category I'm a big fan of. Yeah. So I typically, I typically wind down with that. I like to wind down too with just some like good comedies like half hour comedies that you can kind of zone out with. Does that make you think about your work? Um, a little bit, but I I find it inspiring in a passive way. So instead of me sitting there and being like, Oh, how did they construct this joke? How can I do better with my comedy? It's like, Oh, okay. Comedy is supposed to be easy and, and fun and airy. Let me just enjoy and embrace comedy. I find when I'm feeling stuck, the best thing to do is to just appreciate someone else's work for a little while and not think of my own. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause uh, yeah. like if I, if I watch dramatic show and I'm writing a, a pilot or something or, or a novel and I'm stuck on something and I just watch it and I'm like, this is brilliant. This is <laughs> Like, I'm never going to get there. I'm never, oh. you know, so, uh, and then I get there eventually, but there's right. always that moment that's like, I can't figure this out. The audience will hate me, <laughs> you know? And, uh, <laughs> well, I think, yeah. I think it's fun too, to realize the process. Like when I watch an episode of Modern Family, for example, cause I'm watching, <clears throat> I'm watching the final season now. Um, when you look at that, there's a writer's room of people that have been working on this show for yeah. 11 plus years. Yeah. Sometimes Ooh. I'm like, I, I wish I had a writer's room. Right. Oh, for sure. That's why I highly recommend writer's groups. I'm in a writer's group now with some friends and it honestly makes the biggest difference to be able to bounce ideas off of people. Right. Um, but you also have to, like I put myself in perspective. I'm like, they've been writing this show for 11 plus years. They have a writer's room of people. Yeah. They've already been through, like I'm working on, a pre-production draft. I'm not even into the production draft stages. I haven't colored my drafts, nothing like this is just development. And I'm watching a finished version on TV. There have been so many drafts before they've gotten to this point. There have been so many years of preparation for this. Also the people who created the show have created so many other successful shows and have had huge careers up until this point. So I find it very easy for me to look at a show like that and say, that's a goal, not I'll never be able to do that. You know, I I look at it from a very positive aspirational perspective so that when I watch it, if I'm stumped on something, I can look to this show for answers instead of looking to this show as a way to beat myself up for not having the answers myself. That's interesting. Cause, uh, like 
usually when I write something, yes, it, it at first it's like a goal and you're like, oh, this is uh, this is exactly what I want to achieve. And like the, the feelings that it evoked and everything that that show or that movie or everything. And and then it's a it's kind of a double edged sword because you're like <laughs> when you're stuck and you're you're feeling shitty about the writing or yourself, it's like. I'm never going to get there. I've never. So <laughs> yeah, I get that. It's, it's too like, it's also, but I, I should start to look at it as uh yeah, it's a, it's a goal. And it's good. That's why I like reality TV. Cause I don't, I don't oh, write yeah, reality exactly. TV. So it's so easy for me I to watch just watch Love it. Island I'm not until, analyzing. Yeah. Yes. And you're not analyzing it. You're just like, you're just zoning out in front of it and enjoying the ride for sure. I definitely think that it's good to find that balance, but um Reality TV is the best way. It's the best. Oh yeah. Best oh way. yeah. Oh yeah. I love it so much. And people good, are like, why are you show. watching that? Well, because my, my brain is fried and I'm also <laughs> like, I'm pissed at myself and it's getting me. And sometimes like one of the characters in my book, like I got inspired from like watching someone on the bachelor. Uh, oh, like, nice. A clown. And I was like, Oh, okay. That's, that's my reason for watching reality TV, yeah. real people. You know? Yeah, it's brilliant. It's a great place to like, because you're looking at them. And even though reality TV is, a, is still slightly scripted, and obviously, it's built to be a certain way. People see this as believable, because they're quote, unquote, real people. So you can take stuff from that and use it in the craziness of whatever your fictional thing may be, and use it as like a reference point of like, Oh, no, 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 but but real people were like this. I like yeah. that. That's cool. Yeah, but I find it's it's hard, especially when our saboteurs get the best of us and that little like devil on our shoulders, like you're not good enough, you suck. Um, I've definitely had those days too, and it's not fun. But the best thing to do is to like take a step back. You know, if you have a bullet journal, write down some gratitudes. Um, try to move on to something else that might be more creative. In quarantine, like the last for the last two weeks aside from having to get a certain script done for a deadline, I really haven't written much just for fun right. and it's really sad and I miss it and I want to get back to it. But I also know that like maybe now is not the right time and there are other things going on and that it's okay. It's okay to take a break. If you feel like you're stuck, it's okay. You know, be nice to yourself in the same way. If your friend was working on a script or a novel and they're struggling with something, you wouldn't tell them you suck. You tell them, don't worry about it. Take a break. Enjoy something else. You've got this. I believe in you. I think you're fantastic. Tell those same things to yourself. Give yourself a break. Thankfully, I at least, except for this one deadline recently, I don't have any deadlines. No one's asking me for anything. Yeah. Um, so we're I can write. We're the worst to ourselves. We're the worst. Yeah, we're the worst to ourselves. Exactly. We need to be kinder. We need to treat ourselves as our best friends. Nothing stays buried forever, especially not the past. Yesterday is not yet gone. A mystery novel by Gabriel Vega, host of the Very Creative Podcast. Available now. Paperback and digital. GabrielVega.com. Buy it now. I want to watch feel-good stuff when I'm, my mm. brain is fried. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I agree. Reality TV does that for me. And uh, yeah, sometimes mm -hmm. it pisses me off, though. <laughs> too much drama. But yeah. Oh my God, so much drama. What's your feel-good movie? Oh, what's my feel-good movie? I think... I love nostalgia. I love nostalgia. It really takes me back. Um, gives me a sense of calmness, but also like a weird bit of sadness and a weird bit of anxiety. So I like playing around with that. I I don't know if everyone would define that as feel good, but I like it. Um, 
so watching shows that used to bring me so much joy as a kid. So Matilda, Madeline, Harriet the Spy, Princess Diaries, um, Miss Congeniality. I absolutely adored those shows. And I find it super inspiring to watch the stuff that I loved as a kid and see how it shaped me now. And then I just sit and I cry and I watch it and it's lovely and it's super cathartic and it makes me feel good. So what's your feel good TV show? It's a good question. Um, Recently it's been modern family just because I've restarted it all from the beginning. Um, And now I'm on, I'm on to season 11. I think. That's a very good question. I watched a lot more movies as a kid than I did TV yeah. because my parents didn't like me watching a lot of TV. Haha, yeah. jokes on them. Now I work. <laughs> TV. Um, so I think, what else do I? What feel good TV do I watch? You can say reality TV if you want. Yeah, probably just reality TV and like light comedies. Um, but reality TV, oh, maybe just maybe just like love it or list it where they yeah. like infuse so much drama that isn't there, but then there's like a mini competition, but then you get to see the renovation. Uh, yeah. Reality <laughs> TV, but specifically reality TV in terms of real estate and interior design. Yeah. Um, I was just watching, I was just binging um, selling sunset. Oh my God. Yes. What a fantastic show. Did you watch show. it? Uh, yes. As and then someone told that, me I watched that, it in a whole yeah. like in a whole day. So, someone told me that they were not real estate agents or something. Yeah, there's an article online that says that that's they're Josette, not. However, actually, I'm going to call her yes. out. That's Josette. <laughs> Josette. Um, yeah, they there's an article online that talks about how they're not real estate agents, but they are. First of all, they all have um, they all do have their licenses to be real estate agents, but they're also like they're actors and models, so their full yeah. day job is not real estate. But there were articles, like in the article, it said like one of them had sold a house last year and another one had sold two houses. And as much as they're not like a full-time real estate, obviously they're not. They're on a fucking reality TV show in LA talking about Botox and burgers. Like, no, they're not real real estate agents. I get that. They're not like full-time. But every time on that show when they had another real estate agent that was in the room, that person was so awkward and not made for TV. Yeah. yeah. So... They but do are, they really like, sell the, those houses though? No. Oh, I don't. I think, I think they are. I think those houses are part of the Oppenheim group. I do think that they like own the listing or like whatever, like they wouldn't, I don't think they'd be able to lie about that legally, but I don't know necessarily if those real estate agents are the ones that make the sale. That's like, annoying. I think it might be like, <laughs> well, but they never go into the store. Like, I think if they actually cared about the sale, they'd go into the story of, oh, you know, this person, Christine is working with this um, family and this is what they're looking for. Now let's go look at a bunch of houses. No, that's not the show's about. The show is about Christine and how dramatic she is. And she's like, fantastic. I love her. Um, And Chriselle and like her story with, with Justin Hartley. And yeah, it's not about the selling of the houses. It's, the drama yeah. between these that's what i like the backdrop of selling the houses so you get to like pretty much the yeah. point is let's look at this beautiful house how much money does it cost what would the commission be did they sell it and then move on so i think that there's probably a lot more people behind the scenes that are doing the legwork but the drama for the show is coming from these women and i think they all still do have their real estate license but 
I don't think they're like selling, you know, 10 houses a year, six houses a year, however much is a great show. Yes. So what's your, your feel good song? Ooh, feel good song. Okay. It changes quite frequently. Um, well, the one that never changes is I want to dance with somebody by Whitney Houston. That is like my go-to jump around dancing, feel good song that has never changed. Yeah. Um, right now I'm super into the song. I think it's called feel the rain by tones. And I feel the rain. I'm Googling this for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Feel the rain. Uh, never seen the rain. My bad. Um, it's a good thing I Googled it. Never seen the rain by tones. And I, um, is a song that I'm really loving right now. And my girlfriend hates it, but when <laughs> I have, was having a bad day, she put it on for me and I really oh. appreciated that. Cause she's not the biggest fan of it. Um, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's sweet. Yeah. Never seen the rain. I really love. Um, and there's the new John legend song that he did with, I'm the worst with song names. So let me yeah. Google. Which one? Uh, with David. See, again, my girlfriend's listening from the other room and just texted me the answer. She's faster than Google. It's called Conversations in the Dark, and it's the version between John Legend and David Guetta, where they partner together for this um, fun version. Thanks, Julia. <laughs> Very, it's, it's so funny. I just, because I see her text pop up on my screen. Uh, what would I do without her? This I would have I would have bombed this uh, this podcast if it wasn't for her and texting me <laughs> the answers well, to my questions. <laughs> thank her for me. She's she's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, uh, Maxine, for go- doing this. And uh, thank you so I much really, for having really me. Appreciate it. Uh, this was yeah, so fun. Yeah, you're you're amazing, and uh, I, I keep using that word, but it's true. Like, uh, oh, yeah, me. yeah, so nice to meet you, and uh, yeah, I hope you can come back soon. Yeah, yes, I hope so too. It's so nice to meet you and find a fellow creative person who's writing and acting and making content. And please, like, if there's anything that I can ever do to help you, if you need a pair of eyes on something, I just love reading it and supporting people. So, thank you for having me on your podcast. Thank you for asking me such fantastic questions and dealing with my rambles and everything. And um, I'm That's really grateful for nice. this. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. You've been listening to the Very Creative Podcast with Gabriel Vega. Catch us next week for an all new episode. To find out more, go to gabrielvega.com slash podcast and follow us on social media at the Very Creative Podcast. To watch on video, Go to YouTube and search for The Very Creative Podcast and subscribe. See you next week.